morning, church. How are you doing this morning? Cold. Warm in here now? Yeah, good. Glad, good to see you. Glad you guys are each here to worship with us this morning. A special welcome to you as well if you're worshiping online with us. We're so glad that you are here and trust and believe that the Holy Spirit just sort of binds us together in this space uh, as we worship our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, so I want to go ahead before we jump in and dismiss our kids for Revolution Kids. Miss Trish is here waiting for you. Right. Hope you guys have a great time upstairs. All right, will you join me in just a word of prayer as we open? Almighty God, we give you thanks for this day, for the privilege that it is to gather and to hear from your word. And God, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would come and be present with us, and that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, that you would speak through me the word that you have prepared and, if necessary, in spite of me. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're continuing this morning in our teaching series through Lent on Vice, sort of a look at these historic seven deadly sins, uh, but taking a little bit of a deeper dive to talk about those habits, those things within our own sort of lives and habits and, and hearts that make us more sort of prone to sinning. Shared in the first teaching series, you know, so oftentimes the church, we, we really like to talk about sin, but often it's a way that's a list of behaviors that we can point to and identify in other people. Or we just don't talk about it at all in fear of offending or you know, lots of other things. But my hope in this teaching series is that we focus on sort of the vice beneath the sin, if you will. Uh, the, the roots of it that make us prone toward our bent in and need of God's divine healing. Taking a look again at pride, vainglory, we talked about. At sloth last week. At anger the week before. And so this morning, we're in for another fun one. I've not released the, the order of vices so that you couldn't select which Sundays to miss. <laughs> because let's be honest, if you knew which one we were going to talk about this morning, you'd be like, oh no, here's a preacher lady, she's about to talk about money. <laughs> Might have been one that you stayed home for on this cold, wonderful, not spring day. <laughs> this morning, though, the next vice we're going to talk about is greed. Greed. So just sort of if you're feeling bold this morning, uh, coffee's a little strong, you know, if you're feeling it. I wonder, when you hear the word greed, what is a particular image that comes to mind when you think of greed? Wall Street? Scrooge! Okay, did you, like, hello? Oh, he hello, good morning, hello. He hello, there we are. Yeah, that's the first image I think of, is Scrooge alone in his house, surrounded by money, like gathering it in, counting it, right? I think of Scrooge. Think of Wall Street, or like a picture of the, the stock exchange, you know, of like packed, I don't even know if they sell stocks that same way anymore, of like all the crowded place, and anyways, the stressful, you know, make money at all costs kind of thing. 
I also think of now a new word I've learned in the last several weeks. Like I knew yachts existed, but I did not know that super yachts existed. Right? I think of that now. Anyone else? What other images? Yeah, I, you know, I, I could have picked that one instead. <laughs> yeah, I could have had it be the, the Scrooge McDuck instead. You're exactly right. Uh, you know, we don't have to look very far in our context and world today to find examples of the presence and impacts of greed. It's, it's sort of all around us. Uh, in one hand, we know it's bad. We know it is not a good thing. I mean, just think about how Charles Dickens describes Scrooge. He says he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone. Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner. It's <laughs> a lot of descriptors. Scripture, too, seems pretty clear that greed is not a good thing. 1 Timothy 6, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Does that sound familiar? A few weeks ago, we talked about how pride is the root of all other sin. We're going to get to that with this too. But the love of money, a root of all kinds of evil. Ecclesiastes 5, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Matthew 6, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That one gives me pause. And further in that same passage, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That Sermon on the Mount gets you every time. (laughs) It does not take a lot of convincing for us here this morning to show us that greed is not a good thing. It's bad, even sinful. But on the other hand, I'm afraid sometimes in our context today, greed has become such an American way of life, so prevalent in our capitalistic sort of consumer economy that I wonder if its presence in our own lives isn't always recognized maybe not always detected. It's just sort of the water that we swim in, the air that we breathe. And so what I've hoped in this teaching series is to take us to that next step of self-examination, to create that space of silence and stillness in our lives where we can sit before some of these sort of big sins and think to ourselves, are any roots of this or tendencies or attachments or habits present in my own heart? Not in your neighbor who just bought a brand new car. (laughs) Not sure from where right now, but there's like no cars. Because I'll be honest, when it comes to greed, this is one that I'm like, I'm good. I mean, like I don't, we don't like have these super, you know, we don't have seven homes and a super yacht and, you know, excessive spending, you know. I think we live within our, within our means, If we just even look at the definition of greed, a selfish and excessive desire for more of something than is needed. Behavioral patterns of possession, excessive acquiring, saving, hoarding, lavish spending. I'd like to think these aren't things that are used to describe me. And if I'm being really honest, this is often one where in the sin of comparison, I look around in our world today and I see other examples and I go, I'm good. At least I'm not as bad as... Right? 
Okay, thank you, Gloria. You're right. <laughs> I'm, this is, I'm confessing my <laughs> sin of pride. That's right. On the surface, it may be easy for us to sit here and say, you know, we're not wildly wealthy. As if there's some, you know, I don't know, if any of you own a private jet, let me know. We could use that for the furtherance of God's kingdom. But, <laughs> you know, we could sit here and say, this isn't, I don't have all of these things. I'm not as bad as my neighbor. I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm not as bad as, you know, those Wall Street, whatever. As if there's some threshold for when too much becomes too much. Like there's some inventory that we can find. It's Will Willimon that says greed is a slippery notion. The line between want and need, desire and necessity is thin. So our, our first question for the morning is when does too much become too much? The excessive spending, the excessive desiring and acquiring, and not just a certain amount of money, but the thing itself, possessing things, holding, grasping, hoarding. So it's every week in the series that we're going to take a look of what's going on on the inside, not just these outer actions that we can classify to determine at what point it becomes bad, but our inner motivations, these traits, uh, defects, these attachments that over time, imagine it as like growing, uh, or sorry, uh, over wearing grooves or patterns in the longings of your hearts, creating these habits that make us more prone to acting out of these sins of Greed. We're interested at getting at the vice beneath it, the stuff that makes us bent towards sinning. And so as we looked at the definition of greed, I think the vice that's really underneath it that we're going to try and get a hold of this morning is called avarice. Anyone heard of this? It's kind of synonymous. You know, it can be used in place of greed, but it's the excessive desire for wealth or gain excessive love or desire for money or any possession that money can buy, a disordered desire for overabundance. It's a heart thing. It's a perverted love for an attachment to our possessions, that posture of grasping and hoarding. Think of Scrooge with his pile, <laughs> you know, scraping it in, meticulously counting and in this way, it's in a, if we think of it just simply as an attachment to stuff or a desire to acquire more, this, is an, this really can impact us regardless of how much money we actually have in the bank, whether a lot or a little. And it can look like many different things in our lives. There's varied expressions of how we might live out this vice of gaining and grasping Maybe it's in our desire to online shop or to always have a list and a full cart online somewhere to gain more, to, to get more, to receive more. It could be an overflowing shopping cart or it could just be one single cherished purchase that we've been having our eye on and, and looking for and longing for. It could be a garage full of expensive cars or a closet full of great deals that we don't even have time to wear. It's holding on to possessions with an unyielding grip. Now hear me, those are a few casual examples, but no one but you, in consultation with the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, can tell you when too much is too much. If the things that you are possessing in your life have become something you're grasping onto. 
what drives us to acquire and possess these things? Well, it can be a lot of things. But I think the, the two things that we're most sort of motivated by when it comes to this vice are pride. Well done, Gloria. Pride and fear. Sort of pride and anxiety. That first one, pride being like, you know, I worked for this. I earned this. I'm proud of what I have. And in some time, you know, some, that's not so, so bad. Sometimes to be proud of something, if, you're, if your sweat is in it, you know, you worked for it. But what, it's dangerous when it switches over to, and, and this is now mine. Mine and only mine, as my three-year-old often says. As he pushes the baby down, because the baby wants to be wherever he is, right? No, baby, this is mine. And he stomps his little three-year-old foot, puts his hands on his hips, and I'm thinking, whoa, buddy. He's learned that from somewhere. I have no idea where. <laughs> like, these are actually mine, not yours. I bought them. <laughs> Pride in what we have. Maybe even investing ourselves and our egos and our identities in what we have. Defining ourselves by how we present ourselves to the world. By what we wear, by what we drive, by what we build by what we have. We're motivated by pride in our acquiring and possessing of things. We're also motivated by fear, anxiety of not having enough. Maybe the experience of poverty or the fear of poverty in our own lives has, has caused us to want to hold on to things because we never know when we might lose it all. Or maybe it's that just fear of not having enough. So I'm going to hold on to every single thing I can because it might be useful one day. We tend to grasp and hold on to out of fear of a scarcity mindset. Think of the image of the beginning of the pandemic when we all started hoarding lots of things that we thought might be helpful. And it caused some folks in need to not have things that they needed, right? It's a human response. It's, it's one of our sinful nature pieces, this, this vice to be motivated by that fear of not having enough. So how do we discern that line of like sort of adequate provision, living within our means? It's okay to, you know, we've got to work, to eat, to live, to, to have comfortable homes. But when does living within our means in that way of adequate provision turn into excess. When does too much become too much? The story that I want to uh, look to in Scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark. It actually shows up in three of the Gospels. It's the parable. Actually, it's not a parable. It's an actual encounter with Jesus and the rich young man. You might be familiar with this story. You might not be. I'll be honest. It's one that we like to skip over because it's not... It's, it's not easy. It's not an easy one. So I hope you're still with us online. You're like interested if like this is when people sign off. You know, you let me know. Well, actually, they already heard greed, so you guys are stuck. <laughs> but they could still get out. The door, the door is locked. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. That's weird. <laughs> Not locked, I promise. Okay. So I want to help us sort of answer this question to begin asking these questions of our own hearts. We're going to turn to Scripture, Mark chapter 10. It's kind of a long one. I'm going to read it for us. This is verses 17 through 27. 
And as he was setting out on his journey, that is Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. I don't think that would be my reaction. <laughs> like Outraged, annoyed, you know, disheartened. They said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. You know, that's a verse that you often hear quoted out and about. Did you know that it was as a part of this story? Some of you might have. I honestly sort of forgot. You see it posted on signs and pillows and things in our house. All things are possible with God. Well, did you know that you're actually talking about your money? <laughs> Might not be posted so many places if we knew that. This is one of those passages that sometimes we wish were not there. How difficult it would be for people of wealth to enter the kingdom of God. We'd rather not wrestle with this one this morning, but wrestle we must. Because there are two things that Jesus is addressing head on here. Wealth, of course, but also discipleship. Like entering the kingdom of God, inheriting eternal life, following Jesus. What Jesus is inviting this rich young man to do is to follow him, to take up his cross and come with him right there in that moment. It's an issue of discipleship that Jesus is facing head on. So what's really going on here? You know, in the history of sort of Christian interpretation, there are a lot of people that have taken this scripture literally and read it literally that they have been motivated to actually sell everything that they own to their name and go in the mission field or join a monastery or, you know, it's actually pretty a typical thing in, in monastic life to take a vow of poverty or to sell all you have before you enter that community. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm not saying, I'm, I'm saying that's not the only way that we should experience this passage and be challenged by the teachings of Jesus in this moment. Because I think maybe, just maybe, Jesus is talking about the heart within. Not necessarily those external behaviors of living out of greed that the world can easily identify in this rich young man. We can insert maybe any name we want to. But what we're doing this morning is inserting ourselves. Because truth be told, compared to the global world, each of us here today has a considerable amount of wealth. We may not be one percenters, but we live off more than a few dollars a day, right? 
So if we enter ourselves in the story of the rich young man, what Jesus is inviting him and us to do is to reorder our deepest loves. A reordering of this man's deepest loves. Clement of Alexandria is a leader in in the ancient church. And in interpreting this passage, he says this, the young man's refusal to part with possessions points to deeper character flaws that Christ desired to heal. Christ's command is not, as some hastily interpret it, okay, that's his opinion, a command that he should throw away what he possesses and renounce his wealth. What he is told to banish from his soul are his notions about his wealth, his attachment to it, his excessive desire for it, and his anxieties over it. Those thorns of existence which choke the seed of true life. That's a powerful image. The thorns of existence. Thinking about his attachment, his excessive desire, his anxieties over having and acquiring money. Jesus is addressing his deeper character flaws. Because he recognizes this man is in need of healing. You know, there's a detail at the beginning of this passage that I think is just beautiful. It's this young man who runs up to Jesus eagerly, eagerly runs up to him, and he kneels before him. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, every time someone comes to Jesus and kneels before them, do you know what's happening? They're actually requesting to be healed. Every time, usually from something physical or spiritual in another way, But they're requesting healing every time someone runs up to Jesus and kneels before him. And here, it's as if the writers of Mark are saying, that's how we need to look at this instant, this this situation. It's, It's this rich young man in need of healing. Did you catch the other, the other sort of beautiful piece? When he says, Jesus, what should I do? What can I do to inherit the kingdom of God, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus starts listing out all the commandments, you know. And he's like, yes, I've done them. Check from youth. Check, check. Not murdered anybody. Honored my parents. I've done it. I know that. What else? And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. I love that moment. Jesus stops. He sees the man. And he first loves him. And he can see within his heart where his tension lies, where his attachments lie, where what he needs to surrender in order to follow Jesus. And he gives him this sort of huge challenge to address directly the attachments in this man's heart. So no, we're not supposed to take this as a universal command that every single person that seeks to follow Jesus should sell all that we have and give it to the poor. What we should see is an invitation here for discipleship, for that sort of self-examination, and knowing that only before the throne of Christ, who first loves us and sees us, can we maybe say, search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any grievous way in me. In each of these vices, but here in this moment, avarice, greed, excessive desire for possessions and belongings that will make me feel secure, make me feel proud, will make me not as anxious, will make me comfortable. And realizing that we are in need of healing. 
That's what's happening here. An invitation for healing that will follow the path of discipleship. We also find Jesus on the way. It says that very first sentence, here's Jesus on the way. What they mean, not necessarily from point A to B, as Jesus is sort of roaming around and teaching and healing people. What we mean is the theme in the Gospel of Mark is on the way to Jerusalem, on the way to the cross. And all along his way, he's inviting other people to join him on the way to the cross. This is an invitation where he sees and he loves this rich young man. He sees the attachment in his heart and he invites him to take up his cross in that moment, to surrender his grasp by specifically selling all that he has for this man so that he may freely and joyfully follow Christ. That's the question. What will it take for you to freely and joyfully follow Christ, to relinquish your grasp on things. I can't answer that for you. Only you can. But it doesn't necessarily mean selling all that you have, but it might mean opening up your grasp just a little bit for the anecdote of greed, which is coming, the virtue, which is opposite of every vice each week, the virtue this week is generosity. The path of healing, the vice of greed or avarice, is practices of generosity that transforms our hearts, that heals us, that allows us to begin relinquishing and surrendering to Jesus Christ. I got ahead of myself because I got excited. (laughs) There are issues of discipleship here that Jesus is specifically addressing. And that is still a message for us today. And I believe that there are two sort of main spiritual roadblocks, if you will, of greed. When we have greed and avarice sort of in our hearts, this excessive desire for possessing and owning and more and more, it will make us comfortable and whatever, secure. What ends up happening is we've got two major roadblocks in our spiritual life and following Jesus. The first is that we end up denying the needs of our neighbor. And the second is that we deny our own need for God. So if you think about pride and, um, pride and anxiety are sort of our motivations for greed, the roadblo- roadblocks that they create in our hearts and in our lives is a tendency to deny the needs of our neighbor and then also to deny our deep need for God. The greedy acquire and hold on to possessions to the point of depriving others of what they deserve or need. It's that idea of of taking more than we need, more than our fair share. It makes us sort of bent in on, sort of think of Scrooge, you know, know, crouched over and, and hoarding and unaware of the deep needs of the people around us, sort of putting up our blinders that we become apathetic toward the imp toward the impacts of our own actions on our neighbors. Greed tends to be solitary because there's something about greed that puts us in competition with our neighbors and ultimately an alienation from them. This is Bishop Will Willimon. He says, there are some sins that only hurt us, but this sin of greed is against the neighbor. 
a challenge to see it as against the neighbor, taking more than our fair share, holding on to things that others could rightfully need and use and be in need of. Basil the Great says this, another sort of church historian, when your keeping deprives another person of what they need, it is the hungry one's bread that you hoard, the naked one's cloak that you retain, the needy one's money that you withhold. Denying the needs of our neighbor becomes a roadblock to following Christ. And then, of course, denying our own need for God. Material wealth gives us the illusion that we can be self-sufficient. And if we can be self-sufficient and all-powerful and take care of ourselves, then we don't have to rely on God as much. God becomes sort of separate, set apart. Our greed shows us that trying to overcome fear of want by becoming all-powerful and providing for ourselves, when we stand before the face of God, Our attempts for this sort of security and sufficiency will always be exposed as a sham. Avarice wishes to have more possessions, but God already possesses everything. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The anecdote of all of this, as I already said, is the virtue of generosity. And how that begins to heal our hearts and loosen our grip, even if we feel like we don't have a lot. Not even monetarily. But thinking of that challenge from Basil the Great of maybe the excess clothes that you have hanging in your closet right now that you don't even have, they're not, not days in the, in the year for you to wear it all. Is there somewhere that you can release some of that, donate that, extra blankets, extra gloves, extra clothing, extra coats? We have a place for that, don't we? We have a group that goes out every Saturday and serves our homeless, unhoused neighbors who sometimes lose what they do have and are in need of more clothing to stay warm. You know, maybe it's saying no to that extra cup of coffee one week so that you can donate a meal to someone else in need. This idea of of opening ourselves up, of, of sharing what we have, because all that we have ultimately comes from God. It can change our perspective, our worldview, open us up to the needs of our neighbors, and also remind us of our deep need of divine grace in Jesus Christ, of relying fully on God's provision, on God's faithfulness, that it's not all on me. That's kind of liberating to me right now. That idea that it's all up to me to to acquire and to save and to provide, to get everything that my family needs. There's a deep breath of relief that comes when we surrender that sort of scarcity mindset and we open up the generosity to remind ourselves that God provides God will not forsake us. So these anecdotes of generosity, it's practicing gratitude, practicing that that letting go of that sharing what we have. So we're not so much bent on sinning, but we're open to the needs of our neighbors. We practice that surrender to trust in God, and we practice the generosity by giving away a portion of what we have, giving away from our excess. It was 
this is what you're expecting, right? When we start talking about greed, it's Bishop Will Willimon that says, we practice gratitude by tithing, <laughs> by giving a portion back to God. Now, that's a whole conversation for another day. We've talked about generosity as a way of life already in this sort of seasonal year, a stewardship campaign of sorts. But we're talking about here that deeper level of the vice is practicing generosity in our daily lives. That's not always monetary, but it's a really great anecdote to begin sifting through and surrendering and confessing how sometimes we are prone to greed in ways that we may not always detect. So as in every week of this, I leave you with a few questions for your own self-reflection. Throughout the week, I've invited you to to sort of have moments of self-examination, and our house groups were doing this. More questions are available. You can do those on your own, too, if you're not in a house group. But these are sort of the four to, to sum up the reflection for this week. If, if I keep handling possessions like this for the next 10 or 20 years, what sort of character will I develop and what sort of person will I become? What were those words from Scrooge? Squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous, old sinner. If I keep this up, <laughs> Lord help me. I hope not. How many hours of a week do I spend buying and acquiring things or even thinking about it? Am I overly concerned about my own comfort, security, and well-being? Could others describe me as generous in this moment? Not that we always care what people think about us, right? But as a self-check, as a self-reflection, am I a generous person right now with what I've been given, with what I've been entrusted with? I invite you um, into these questions of reflection throughout your week um, and always here. You know, I was talking to Micah, I think, I feel like with each of these vices, it's sort of like opening up a can of worms, you know, like here you go. With the last two minutes, I'm going to give you like, you know, the virtue or the anecdote for this, but it sort of unleashes a whole mess of stuff. The good news is that we are here for you. As Daryl said last week when he taught on sloth, Another one that I wish I could have stayed home for, right? I thought, gee whiz. (laughs) Daryl is here. I am here. Micah is here. We've got a Celebrate Recovery community every Wednesday night that specifically talks about your hurts, your hang-ups, your habits, these ways that we might be prone to sinning in our hearts. It's not just for folks that we might think over there struggle with addiction. Maybe that's us, but it's all of us. It's all of us with these hurts and hang-ups and habits. And if you're looking for a safe space to explore some of this, like if we are, if I'm like unleashing a whole mess of stuff for you that has just been really difficult, I don't want you to feel like we've left you stranded and alone, that there are groups, that there is support, there's pastoral counseling, and we'd love to have further conversations with you. So please uh, let us know. Reach out this week if that's you. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks for who you are and that you first loved us in such a generous, amazing, world-changing, life-changing way that you gave everything you had in order for us to know and feel your love. God, we pray that you would be with us that your spirit would be so close and present with us today and in the days to come, that you would comfort us even as we look inside our own hearts 
and wonder about our own attachments? Are we more attached to our things than we are you? And do we hear the, and do we hear the invitation now to take up our cross, to surrender, and to follow you? We know that that is the way of true freedom and true life and true joy. If we could just get rid of some of these things that trip us up, that entangle us, that are roadblocks to running after you with all that we have. God, may we not leave this place disheartened like the rich young man, but in the days and weeks to come, as we surrender, as we let go, as we begin practicing generosity in ways that we haven't, would we feel your hope and your love and your presence in ways that we haven't in a long time? We thank you for this way of life that you show us. And we ask now for the courage to look ourselves in the mirror, to have some of these tough conversations with our trusted community and to step forward into the way of healing, which the rich young man didn't take. I pray for courage now for all of us that as we kneel before you this morning, we would find healing, we would find grace would find surrender. We love you, Lord, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ.